Welcome to the Kaleidoscope of Possibilities, Alternative Perspectives on Mental Health. My name is Dr. Adriana Popescu. I'm a licensed clinical psychologist and leader in the field of mental health, energy psychology, addiction, trauma, and empowerment. In this podcast, we will be exploring mental health from a variety of perspectives, from the spiritual to the shamanic and beyond. What if mental illness isn't everything we think it is? What if everything we see as a pathology is actually a possibility? What else is possible with mental health? Hi everyone, Dr. Adriana Popescu here with you today with another episode of Kaleidoscope of Possibilities, Alternative Perspectives on Mental Health. I'm really excited to have with me today, Dr. Angela Cates. She is a doctor of pharmacy, a board certified pharmacotherapy specialist, and a certified functional medicine practitioner. Angela founded Cultivate Health and Wellness with a focus on the gut-brain connection and created her signature program, Beyond ADHD, after helping her own son with ADHD and anxiety. Beyond ADHD is a functional medicine approach to support parents of children with ADHD, anxiety, and depression. Her goal is to help parents identify the root causes of ADHD, anxiety, and depression and minimize medication use so her client's children can thrive. Welcome, Angela. Thanks so much for being with us here today. Uh, Thank you so much for having me. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, yeah. I love uh, love exploring these alternative perspectives on what we have considered traditional mental health, as if mental is separate from physical and emotional and, and spiritual and all the rest. I always like to start off the show with asking our guests a little bit about themselves and how they came to do the work that they're doing. So would you mind sharing with us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, of course. So um, first of all, I'm a wife. I'm a mother to two kids. My son will be 14 next week. My daughter just turned 12. So we're right in the middle of that preteen teen stage. Um, We live on a farm in Indiana. Um, So lots of time outdoors and country time. Um, And I am a pharmacist by training. So I went to Purdue University um, quite a while ago. I've had over 15 years experience as a pharmacist. Um, And so you may be wondering how I ended up here, kind of in this alternative space. Um, And that's kind of some of the story we're going to share. But basically, my son, when he started middle school, was having a lot of issues with ADHD and anxiety. And so being a pharmacist, we went the medication route. We tried that. Um, Even working with a great psychiatrist, multiple medication trials and changing medications. And we just were not getting the improvement we hoped. We were having lots of side effects. He was still struggling. And I just kept asking myself, why? Like, why is he having all these issues? I mean, as far as we knew, fortunately for him, he was trauma wasn't an issue. So just really trying to uncover why why this was going on. Um, And at the same time, um, kind of in my pharmacy space, I had learned about some other pharmacists doing functional medicine. Um, And so I just really started to explore. I started to do CEs. I started to do training. I took my son to a functional medicine practitioner And my eyes were just really opened to a whole new world. And so that really is what got me going on this journey of uncovering and, you know, just throwing myself into figuring out how I could help him. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, often it is the personal journey, right? We don't we don't necessarily pr- intend to pursue these things, but life shows up in a way that kind of changes our course. Yeah, I totally relate to that. Um, so, tell us a little bit about what exactly is functional medicine. Yeah, well, to put simply, functional medicine is basically identifying the root cause of symptoms. So, instead of traditional or conventional medicine, where you might say They might diagnose you, here's your problem, and here's a medication to treat the symptoms. Functional medicine says, why? Why are you having these symptoms? What's going on underneath to cause you to have these issues that you have? So it's really about digging in. And a lot of times, the root cause could have something to do with your gut health. It could have something to do with nutrient deficiencies, be what you're eating or stress or lack of sleep. So often the root causes are some of our basic lifestyle things we need to be doing, but sometimes there's more to it. And so really as functional medicine, they, a good provider should do a really in-depth history, you know, even back to birth, what's gone on, what things have you been exposed to, what stressors, what social situations are going on, because all these things together kind of create that picture of what's going on with the person. And so really involving the person in the process as well, the client, um, you know, getting their perspective for what's going on and what's important to them as well. Right, right. And then do you do any kind of testing as part of that, like testing people's blood or different body fluids or things like that? Yes. And so this is sometimes where I think functional medicine Sometimes it gets a bad rap or it can be difficult for some people because part of uncovering root causes is through some of these functional lab tests. And some of them are not covered by insurance typically. So a lot of times there is some out-of-pocket expense to it. Um, But yes, the test um, that I really like, I like doing an organic acid test. And that tells us a lot about, is there an overgrowth of bacteria Could there be an underlying candida infection? Are there nutrient deficiencies? Um, And those are all things that once we identify, here's the issue, then we can take steps to work on addressing it. Um, Also do hair tests, like take a hair sample and it can tell you if they have had um, exposure to heavy metals. Um, Heavy metal exposure like lead can cause a lot of ADHD symptoms. So you wanna check and see if that's an issue. Um, Also, copper and zinc and magnesium, like all those minerals we can look at on a hair test. And we hear a lot about zinc, especially for immune health. Um, But there's this delicate zinc-copper balance. And if that gets out of balance, that can contribute to symptoms of ADHD and anxiety. So I like to check and see, like, what's our status there? Same with the magnesium. That's one of the most common deficiencies Um, you know, in in the U.S. and our diets, Um, just we're not getting it through our diets. Lots of people are low in magnesium, which causes a whole host of issues. Mm -hmm. It can cause difficulty with focus, can cause difficulty with sleep, can cause constipation, which kind of goes back to that gut health issue. That's taking care of your gut health. That's how your body removes toxins. And so just even something that seems minor, like a magnesium deficiency can have a whole host of trickle down effects. Right. And it didn't, you know, some people might wonder, well, well, why lately? It seems like, you know, like when I was a kid, 
we didn't have ADD, ADHD, and the kids weren't getting diagnosed with that. Um, it probably was going on, but it certainly was didn't seem as big of a thing as it is now. Like, what do you attribute that to? Yeah, I mean, I think a couple of things. I do think they are have gotten better at diagnosing it is one issue, especially in girls, which I think are still lagging behind as far as the diagnosis, because in girls, ADHD typically presents differently. They might have more of that inattentive type. You know, they may not be causing problems in the classroom or disrupting, and so it might get overlooked um, if the teachers aren't and the parents aren't really looking for it. So, I mean, one, I think we've gotten better at diagnosing it, um, but otherwise, there's so many other factors going on. We we're having so many more additives in our food and preservatives, the artificial dyes, the amount of sugar in our food compared to what it used to be is just astronomical. Um, that definitely plays a role. Um, we have, we live in such a toxic world. We're exposed to so many more toxins than we used to be. I mean, cleaning products, laundry products, personal care, like our skin is just a big mouth. And so anything we're putting on our skin, our body's absorbing it. Um, so that's playing a role as well. Um, and then antibiotic use, you might wonder how that's related, but excessive antibiotic use um, can get rid of the good bacteria in your gut and allow some of these harmful ones to overgrow. Um, and there's a certain type um, made by the Clostridia species. They produce this toxic byproduct, this bacteria does, that causes ADHD symptoms. Hmm. Um, so I think that plays a role as well. So, and most of my clients, most of my kids that I've worked with, it's not just like one issue, like, oh, you had a nutrient deficiency and here was, here was the issue. A lot of times it's like, okay, we had this genetic predisposition. We are low in this nutrient. You were on a lot of antibiotics as a kid. So you have bad gut bacteria. Maybe you're exposed to toxic products. So a lot of times it's not just one thing. It's this whole host of issues, which I'm, I'm sure you've kind of seen as well. Mm -hmm. And then it's really my job working with the parents, like uncovering, pulling back these layers. Let's fix this. Then let's work on this and work on this to get them to the point that they're, they're thriving and doing well. Yeah. And I think too, what underlies all of that is this idea that the body is a whole system and that you can't really separate, like nothing is really separate. And I think our, our Western medical model is very fragmented, right? Like you go to this doctor, if you have a throat thing, you go to the ENT. If you have a stomach thing, you go to the stomach doctor. If you have a foot thing, you go to the foot doctor. Rather than like, it seems like in traditional medicine, they're not looking at the whole person and how all the systems work together. Like I know for myself, when I had Lyme disease, I had a lot of the things earlier in life that you were talking about. And yes, I was bitten by a tick that had this, but like what it did, like this would get out of whack. My hormones would get out of whack, which then made my neurotransmitters go out of whack. And because I had gut dysbiosis, that made, I mean, everything just went sideways, but it was all connected. You couldn't just treat one symptom and expect that that was going to make things better. And I learned that the hard way. <laughs> mm -hmm. Right. Or the fact that, you know, the symptom, you know, the medication might treat the symptom, you might feel a little bit better, but is it causing another downstream effect? Yeah. Um, it's either depleting your new, your body of a different nutrient. So you need to make sure you're adding that back in, 
or, you know, our bodies are smart. If you're causing it to, you know, do something different, it can upregulate a receptor or downregulate a receptor. I mean, it can find a way to work around that. Um, so, and that's where I really kind of pull in my knowledge as a pharmacist, like, you know, sometimes medications are very useful and helpful, but let's make sure we've addressed the other issues first. And then let's make sure if you are taking a medication that we're supporting you as best we can so that you're not going to get the side effects or so that you're not going to get these downstream effects. So, you know, really kind of pulling that into the picture as well. Well, and yeah, I want to explore that a little bit more, you know, because you have this unique, you know, background as a pharmacist. Uh, a lot of people who don't really understand or know about even all this stuff, which is why we're having this conversation, um, a lot of times how it how this comes to be for parents is they're getting reports from school that their kid is acting up, can't sit still, can't pay attention. And the school thinks the parent should take the kid to the doctor and basically put them on some sort of stimulant medication because stimulant medication has been shown to have this paradoxical effect that it actually calms kids with ADHD down. But I don't think very often people are looking at what you said, like what's the systemic effect of taking these medications? And I, as an addiction specialist, end up seeing people as adults who often have developed an addiction to methamphetamine or, you know, to their amphetamine where they're using them beyond what's prescribed. And I wonder what early exposure to these medications is doing to kids' brains over time? Yes. Ooh, that's, that is a great question. And, you know, I think there's a couple of things because I hear evidence on both sides, um, you know, about stimulant use being linked to substance abuse later in life. And so I think there's a couple of factors. Um, one, I'm sure you've seen this the ADHD brain is kind of more wired towards that type of propensity anyways. And so, I mean, that's one factor. And then if you, I guess, because you can misuse the stimulants, you can get a euphoric effect, you can use them for performance enhancing effects. So if you are misusing them, I mean, that is a form of substance abuse. Um, but we also kind of see on the flip side, if you are not treating ADHD, which that treatment doesn't necessarily mean treatment with a medication, but untreated ADHD, people will find a way to self-medicate. Mm -hmm. And so they might gravitate towards some of those substances to self-medicate if they're not prescribed. So I think it's a very delicate and difficult balance um, I mean, I think especially as parents making sure, you know, especially once they get into those adolescent teen years, um, that they're not misusing them, that they're not sharing them with their friends, that they're taking them as intended. Um, because in, in general, they find that if people are taking them as intended, it shouldn't lead to substance abuse. Now, you, you may know better working more specifically in that field. Um, but I know that's definitely a concern, which is another reason to try to address these other factors first, and maybe you won't need the medication. Right. Well, and it really kind of even throws the whole diagnosis 
in question, right? Because I also have worked with folks who got this diagnosis early on, maybe in their school years, and um, and that what that did to their self-esteem, right? Like, oh, okay, I have a disease. There's something wrong with me. I remember working with a woman who really thought she was stupid, you know, because she had this diagnosis and she carried this like core belief about herself that I'm stupid, which as an adult ended up really impacting her in a lot of negative ways. Like she wouldn't go for jobs that she was qualified for because she didn't believe she could be successful. And we had to really undo a lot of this. And I'm sitting here thinking, well, gosh, you know, did she really even have that? Or did she just have gut imbalance? Did she have uh, an alert allergic reaction to red dye number nine or whatever it is, right? Like, yes. is this even really, is it being overdiagnosed? And the symptoms of some other imbalance being misidentified as ADD, ADHD, when it, it isn't that. Yes. And I think that's very, that's very likely in a lot of cases, because like you said, we're just, the thing that makes it difficult with mental health, there's not like a lab test. You just do this lab test or not like, okay, we measure your blood pressure. You have high blood pressure. That's not how it works in mental health. It's, you know, what are your symptoms? And we kind of group them together and give them a diagnosis. So it can, you're right, it can be easy to misdiagnose, especially if the symptoms look similar. Um, And so that's where it really makes sense to address some of these other issues and make sure, you know, if we can correct it, we may not need the medication because we had a very similar thing with my son. He was in second grade was, you know, having trouble reading at school and they do the assessments. And, you know, we went to counseling to work on some parent coaching skills. And unfortunately, this um, therapist was like, well, really, your only option is to put him on medication or, you know, he's going to flunk out of school. He's going to have accidents when he's driving, you know, just really, you know, putting the guilt trip on and, you know, I wish I knew then what I know now. There are so many other, so many other avenues you could take, um, things that can be tried first. But I think there's still a lot of that out there. It's like, okay, here's what you look like at school. Looks like ADHD. We're just going to put you on a stimulant, um, and th- and that's what parents are left with. And and it's difficult to navigate, you know. Especially, you know, both of us are kind of in this field, and we know, but. Um, even for me, it's, it's hard to make those decisions sometimes. And there's so much information for and against medication and whether you treat it or don't treat it. And so that's where I really try to come along parents. I'm like, what have we tried so far? What else can we try? Um, you know, are there other things we can address? Do we need to look at nutrient deficiencies? Like you said, the gut imbalance, um, is a big one as well. Yeah. Tell tell us more about that, because I I think more and more people are hearing about gut dysbiosis and what all that means. But I still think a lot of people don't quite get it. So what what exactly is a healthy gut, unhealthy gut and how does that impact mental health? Yeah, I know it seems I know it was like, well, really, how could that be? But um, so there's there's a thing called the gut brain connection, but there's really several ways that gut and the brain are connected. So one, we have the vagus nerve um, that runs from your brain to your gut. And so those nerve impulses are sending signals. Um, Actually, your gut is sending more signals up to your brain than your brain is to your gut, but they're communicating both ways. 
Um, so that's one way um, that they're connected. And you'll see there's some treatments coming out that are actually vagus nerve stimulators, trying to like strengthen the vagus nerve. You can do things like gargling or singing that can help strengthen your vagus nerve and improve that connection. Um, also those bacteria, the good bacteria that live in your gut, um, they're making vitamins that are needed for um, neurotransmitters like serotonin and dopamine. And they're also making those neurotransmitters like serotonin and dopamine. Those are actually made in your gut. Um, so that's another way that they're kind of connected because what's those affect kind of the signaling in your brain and how your brain is communicating. And then we also have the immune system, the gut immune connection. And so um, this is where kind of leaky gut comes in, if people have heard of leaky gut. So basically the barrier or the lining of your gut should have these tight little openings that only allow like nutrients from digested food to get through and get where they need to be. But if you have a lot of inflammation, which could be caused by um, antibiotics or toxins or you know, processed foods, artificial sweeteners, gluten. If you have a lot of these things causing inflammation in your stomach, those um, kind of openings, they can get really wide and they allow the bacteria, the toxins, the undigested food to go straight from your gut into your bloodstream. Then they travel throughout your body. It can cause joint pain. If it travels to your brain, that's what's causing that brain fog after you eat, <laughs> you eat a food, eat something, and then you're like just exhausted. Um, so that's another way. And those things that are causing, they can cause inflammation in your brain. Yeah. And your, our brain, the way that we know it's inflamed, isn't by necessarily hurting, like some, you know, like maybe your joints or something else would hurt if they're inflamed. You feel anxious, you feel depressed, you can't focus, you have brain fog. So that's how your brain is telling you, hey, it's inflamed in here, something isn't right. I wanted so to ask, yeah, sorry. Um, yeah, but inflammation is actually something I had wanted to ask you about because more and more I'm reading about and hearing, and we've talked even in the podcast or on some earlier episodes about this inflammation or, or like mast cell activation syndrome really seeming to be a root cause for a lot of different conditions. Yes. And I think it's very interesting that even looking on the conventional medicine side, so new treatments that they're working on for depression have to do with inflammation. Mm -hmm. So I think inflammation they're realizing is a much bigger piece than what has happened in the past. And yeah, I think so many of our health conditions are tracked back to inflammation, which gut health. So I didn't really, I guess I didn't get to the point of what is good gut health, but um, it would be not having that inflammation, having a good um, balance of those beneficial, those helpful bacteria that make the good things, not having too many of the bad bacteria, and the way that you would know that is through a test, either um, I use the GI map, which is a stool test, um, and that gives you a lot of the intestinal markers and the good and bad bacteria. Organic acid tests can also show you um, overgrowth of bacteria or if you have the yeast like candida growth. Um, but then also just in general, for you to kind of check in with yourself, like, are you having routine bowel movements? Like, one to three times a day. Are you, um, that's what you want to aim for. If you're getting bloated and constipated and having a lot of GI 
pain and issues, especially after you eat, those are some signs that probably something's going on. It's either what you're eating or, you know, an overgrowth, something not balanced. So those are some things you can even check in yourself. Yeah. So when you discover that people have these kinds of imbalances, you mentioned doing corrections. What are some of the corrections that you use in your practice? Okay. Um, That's a great question. So I mean, depending on what the issue is, um, sometimes we'll remove certain foods from the diet. Gluten um, and dairy are two that a lot of times we end up removing and sometimes just temporarily. Um, Adding fiber into the diet is one that we often do, especially if there's not um, enough good bacteria. Adding some prebiotic fiber, that's kind of the food for the good bacteria. Um, Sometimes we'll use digestive enzymes um, or probiotics. Um, And if there is an overgrowth, um, we can use um, herbs that have antimicrobial effects. So they kind of help kill off some of that bad bacteria. And in some cases, um, in functional medicine practice, they will use prescription antibiotics or antifungal treatments if there is a significant overgrowth just to kind of get that down. So those are some of the treatments um, that we would use. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think at this point, because I'm somebody who you know has recovered from Lyme disease and, and chronic fatigue syndrome, and many of the things you talk about were true for me, especially the systemic yeast infections and like not just in, you know, certain body parts, but just throughout my whole system. And it was really hard actually to, to clear that particularly because I also had heavy metal toxicity and, you know, all the things go together. Um, but I still take, you know, I went from taking maybe 50 or 60 supplements a day to, I still take about 20 or so just as part of my maintenance. Cause, cause I think the world that, that our soil is so depleted even though I eat pretty healthy, I don't know how many vitamins and minerals are in my food these days. Um, you know, especially here in California where I live, we're, you know, our, we're pretty over farmed. Our land is really over farmed, um, and toxins, you know, I mean, you drive down the freeway and then there's the food fields right there. And I'm thinking, gosh, there's like big trucks driving by, like what's getting in the food (laughs) from the smog and, and everything. So do you think most of us at this point probably needs some sort of supplementation just to maintain health in general? Oh, that's a great question that's highly debated. (laughs) I mean, in an ideal world, we would get everything we need from our food. But I think, like you said, that's very difficult. Um, And especially if you are someone who has struggled with chronic health conditions, I mean, you may have some underlying genetic tendency to be low in certain nutrients or to have difficulty detoxing certain things. Um, so I find that most people I work with, yeah, we do a period where it's more intense supplementation to kind of get things in balance. And then we do maintenance. I'm like you, I take a handful of supplements in the morning and at night. Um, just because, I mean, partially it is kind of hard to, it can be difficult to get to that point where you're feeling better. Um, And like you said, with the candida, that's difficult to get rid of. You want to make sure you maintain and don't go back there. So I don't think it's, you know, I'm not surprised that lots of us do take routine supplements um, because just because it is difficult, you know, to get everything you need from your food. 
Well, that, and then the other piece I wanted to look at is stress. Like we know from way back when that stress has a really negative impact on all of our body's functions. And we're living in a very, very stressful time, especially the last few years with this pandemic and kids in particular are really feeling the effects of the stress, having had at home schooling and just everything that's unfolded, especially recently. Can you talk a little bit about the role that stress plays with all of this? Yeah. Yeah. So it's kind of interesting stress and gut health, especially they have this connection. Um, If you are under a lot of stress, it's going to upregulate the harmful bacteria in your gut. And then those harmful bacteria are going to cause more stress. So it just kind of gets in this cycle. Um, and then, of course, I think we all know how the stress affects our mental health. And so I do think that, yeah, supporting our stress, I mean, supplements is one way to do it. Just because when you're under that much stress, you're depleting a lot of those nutrients that your body needs, and it can be really hard to keep up and maintain those. So I think that's reasonable as well as, you know, practicing our stress relieving techniques as much as we can. But like you said, it's difficult in this busy world and our brains are just constantly, you know, having all these thoughts and all these things triggering us, triggering that stress, that stress response. So we have to be really intentional. Yeah, which kind of brings me to what you've talked about, and maybe you can go into a little more depth with this overlap between different mental health diagnoses. Like I even from the time I was an intern as a psychologist, remember working with kids and seeing this big overlap between anxiety and ADHD or depression and ADHD, but particularly anxiety. So I'm curious from your perspective, what do you attribute that to what's happening there? Well, it's kind of, there's, again, there's several things involved with it. And and that's really where my son struggled a lot. He had, we had that, he'd always been a little bit kind of anxious or my worrier, but first he was diagnosed with ADHD and we worked on treating that. But then unfortunately, a lot of the stimulants make anxiety worse. And so you get that worsening anxiety, but at the same time, not being able to focus at school or not being able to understand what's going on due to the ADHD and kind of having your brain wired differently, that causes a lot of anxiety as well. And so from what I've read and from what I understand, I mean, it's a lot of the, the brain wiring and just the way that your ADHD brain thinks differently causes a lot of anxiety. I know for kids, for my son, just realizing that he was different and that he thought differently you brought this up earlier, but the self-confidence, the self-esteem, that makes it so difficult. And, you know, trying to explain it's your brain isn't bad. It's just different. And, you know, you need to do things a little bit differently than some other people. But I think that causes a lot of anxiety um, and just the constantly trying to fit into, you know, maybe the school setting that isn't designed very well sometimes for kids with ADHD. Um, Yes, but specifically. (laughs) So, you know, I do think that's a piece, um, you know, but adults as well, a lot of adults, there's a big overlap with the ADHD and anxiety. And I think, you know, just your brain constantly having to 
work harder to pay attention and keep things organized and in line, it causes a lot of anxiety. And it does make it difficult to diagnose because a lot of the symptoms are very similar. A child in class, are they, you know, inattentive ADHD or are they just so anxious that they're just sitting there and not able to comprehend what's going on? Um, So so. it's very complex. And then if you put trauma in the mix, right, we know that these adverse childhood experiences, which can be you know, people think trauma, well, like physical, emotional, sexual abuse, yes. But also if you grow up in a home where there's a lot of chaos, there's fighting, there's um, maybe somebody has an addiction issue or a mental health issue, like that can be also change the way a child's brain develops, right? Mm -hmm. And can affect that wiring in the brain. Yes, yes, absolutely. So yep, that plays a role. Um, And then you mentioned a little bit too, there's a big overlap with depression and ADHD and then learning disabilities as well. Yes. Um, And so all those things, it, you know, I just learned not too long ago, I didn't even know there was a term for it, but complex ADHD, which would be ADHD with at least one other diagnosis. Yes. Um, And I think that's more of what we're, what we're seeing. Well, and now with the brain scans, you know, like um, I'm thinking of Dr. Daniel Amen, right? Yes. And work uh-huh. with sex scans. I think he's come up with seven different types of ADHD because they really can, the symptoms can show up really differently, like you said, between boys and girls and different permutations between a more inattentive type versus a more hyper type. So they're, they're really, but even to now be able to see how the brains are so different, even across this one diagnosis is pretty fascinating. Yes. And I think that's so exciting. And I think that's really going to help guide our treatment um, because really knowing, because there is so many different, you know, people will stereotype, oh, like that's an ADHD thing, but I've seen so many different presentations of how ADHD presents. And, you know, one example, I think a lot of people think of them as being unorganized but a lot of people with ADHD, their brain, they want it very organized, less physical clutter means less mental clutter. And so, you know, I think sometimes that gets overlooked if you are a type that's much more like you want everything neat and orderly so that you can, you know, kind of think. And honestly, um, as somebody who I would say probably fits some of these characteristics myself, um, I don't see it as a pathology either. I see it as like, I'm somebody whose brain works so fast that having 50 windows open on my computer, 50 tabs on like five different windows, which really is how it is for me, actually like works better because I don't have the patience to sit and wait for a page to load or I'm working. I feel like I have an eight track mind, you know, like I can work on eight different things at once. And I don't see that as a problem, you know, like I'm not getting lost in that. I know exactly, you know, how to get back to whatever I was working on before. So even questioning, like, is this a pathology versus is just, is this just neurodivergence, right? Is this just that my brain works differently than somebody else's brain and neither one is better that or worse than the other? Yeah. And I think, I think you're right on with that. And a coach that we worked with um, initially when my son was diagnosed, I loved how she explained it. She was like, your brain has a superpower because you can hyper-focus on things that interest you. And and be very successful. And I think this is where it comes in 
you know, a lot of people are like, oh, well, do you outgrow ADHD as an adult? And not sure your opinion, but my thoughts on this are the people who appear to outgrow it are the people that have really figured out what type of life or work situation that they can really excel at by the way that their brain works. And sure, if you're in a job that doesn't interest you or doesn't play well to your strengths and the way your brain is wired, you probably will continue to struggle. But, you know, a lot of people are able to really become very passionate about something and just hyper focus on that. And they're very successful. For sure. And and also to, to, I think, to address the learning styles, like what I realized is I'm not a person who can sit in a passive lecture and just sit there and, and like not have anything else to do with my hands or like focus my attention on. So I'm that person who might be in a workshop on my phone, totally present and listening, but I can't, it's too, almost too slow for me to just sit there and stare at the person talking. And if I can't engage, you know, if there's no sort of activity for me to engage in, I'm going to get bored. Um, So I wonder how much of about you know uh, of it as well comes back to how we're teaching kids and the model we use and is the model that we're using from like the 1800s where kids just like sit there silently for hours at a time like is that really is that really designed to match their learning styles or should and I've seen now they have like bouncy things for kids to sit on you know improvements are slowly happening but I also have to wonder about our educational system and if it's really meeting the needs of our kids rather than pathologizing the kids who are not fitting into the box of the education system. Yes, 100% agree with that. And that it took me a while to accept, you know, my son, we did public school and private school and homeschool, and now he's doing online. And we finally found a situation that works because yeah, it was like we were trying to fit him into a box that he did not fit in. And it's been very interesting. And then my daughter does not have an ADHD diagnosis, although I think she likely has it, but she has been able to, she chews gum during class. She's doodling on her paper. She's listening. She's doing really well in school. You know, we've had a few teachers that don't like her doodling and I'm like, well, this is how she's paying attention. She's learning. This is how she's coping. I mean, as long as she's not disrupting other people, I don't see what the problem is, but I think you're right with the educational system needing to continue to evolve. Um, and especially, unfortunately, I mean, now with smartphones and TVs and I mean, this, we are in a instant gratification, yeah. you know, generation. And so they're used to things moving like that. And so then to sit in a classroom and not get that constant stimulation, it's a challenge. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I I wonder what that bodes for us as a, as an evolution of a species with that constant barrage of do, 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 do. I wonder what that's actually creating, but that might be a conversation for another time. Um, So this has been super fascinating. Um, Angela, if people want to find out more about you and your programs, where can they go? Okay. Yeah. Um, my website is beyondadhdrx.com. Um, I am hosting a webinar tomorrow, which I think will be <laughs> um, last week by the time this podcast airs, but I will have replays available. Um, I do work one-on-one with parents um, who want to do some of this testing to find out root causes for their children. Um, and then I'm working on putting together a course that parents could work through on their own 
kind of explaining some of these things and some of the other supports they can do. So hopefully that'll be out in the next couple months. Um, you can also find me on Instagram at Dr. Angela Cates. Um, and I have a Facebook group as well called Beyond ADHD. Wonderful. I'm so grateful that you're out there doing this work. It's so needed. Um, any final thoughts for us before we go? I think, you know, overall, just make sure you're being your child's advocate. I mean, with the school, with even with your physician, with other parents, you are the one that knows your child best. So listen to yourself and really advocate for your child. And if something feels like it's not making sense or it's making them worse, question it and just keep going. You know, it took us several years to get to the place where we feel like things are are finally going well. So yeah, just continue to, to work with your child and, and be their advocate as I'm sure you are. So, well, thank you so much for having me on. This has been a great conversation and I'm glad for your work in this space as well, because yeah, much needed. And the more that we can educate and get this message out to people, the more people we can help. Right on. Yes. Thank you so much, Angela. Thank you everyone who tuned in today. If you like this podcast, if you found it important, valuable information, please do share it, subscribe, comment, rate it, all the things, because the more people um, do those things, the more the programs will, the algorithms will get this out into the world. And that's really what we're wanting is to educate people and to create change. So thanks so much for tuning in and see you next time on Kaleidoscope of Possibilities. Thank you for joining me for this episode of Kaleidoscope of Possibilities, Alternative Perspectives on Mental Health. This has been Dr. Adriana Popescu. If you enjoyed this episode, please like and subscribe and share with others. To find out more about me, my guests, and more, please visit my website at adrianapopescu.org. See you next time.